At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. God created us for community, and with community comes conflict. It seems ever-present in our day-to-day lives, from little things to big things. In today's society, cancel culture is prevalent, and when there's conflict in our lives, it can be easy to turn to the ways of canceling one another. Knowing how to resolve conflict lovingly is an essential component of our lives. When we resolve conflicts out of love, we honor Christ. Join us in our new series, Conflicted, Pursuing Peace in a Cancel Culture, where we'll turn to the Gospel of Matthew to see what Jesus has to say about handling conflict. Uh, Part of my ministry is the chapels for the Detroit Tigers, and I always like to give, give a little update when I go out to speak. We had a wonderful year. A um, number of younger players who are believers and had one player and his girlfriend uh, both come to faith in Christ uh, toward the end of the season. And it was so cool. The player uh, was in our Bible study uh, that we would do every couple weeks. And uh, in uh, August, uh, was sitting at my kitchen table, it was just him and me that day. And uh, through the course of our study, here's what he said. He said, so... Where does Jesus fit into all this? (laughs) It was a great question. And so I had the chance to just explain the gospel fully to him. And there at the kitchen table, he prayed to receive Christ. And then he said, uh, hey, I need you to come talk with my girlfriend about this. So about a month later at a coffee shop in Royal Oak, uh, the three of us sat down. And uh, sure enough, later that night in their apartment, she prayed to receive Christ as well. So God's doing some neat things. I appreciate your prayers. Uh, We do an annual outreach at the ballpark called Home Plate. And uh, this coming year, it'll be June 22nd. You come to a game early, players come out and share their faith. So I appreciate your prayers uh, for us in those things. Hey, we are wrapping up a series today um, called Conflicted. And uh, it's from Matthew chapter 18. Uh, And if you've been following and if you've been here Uh, as we go through the chapter with the very uh, last passage now that we'll look at uh, in Matthew chapter 18. And it deals with forgiveness. And one of the stories, not a Bible story, of forgiveness that I always uh, enjoy uh, looking at and and thinking about is the story of Louis Samperini. Uh, Louis was living in uh, California, and in 1997... He was preparing to go to Japan to be a torchbearer for the Winter Olympics that would be held in 1998 in Nagano. Louis had been to Japan before. He had spent two years there in the 1940s, and he'd gone back in 1952. And if you don't recognize the name, uh, you may remember his story Uh, that Laura Hillenbrand uh, penned in the book called Unbroken. It was later made into a movie. True story. And if you haven't seen the movie or read the book, I'd encourage you to do so. Those two years that Louis spent in Japan in uh, the 1940s were as a prisoner of war. And in the particular uh, prison camp where he was uh, incarcerated, uh, there was a a guard there, and his nickname was The Bird. And when Louis went back in 1952, 
uh, he had the opportunity to talk to the guards in that camp who had uh, tortured him and uh, been very brutal to him. And he asked about the bird. And uh, they said, well, we think he killed himself. Uh, come to find out later, the bird was actually still alive. So as Louis prepared to go back to Japan for the 1998 Olympics as a torchbearer, uh, he said, I want to try to meet the bird. And uh, he wrote this letter uh, preparing to go over there. Let me read it to you. Uh, it says, dear, and he gives the, the guard's name, uh, the bird. He says, as a result of my prisoner of war experience, uh, under your unwarranted and unreasonable punishment, my post-war life became a nightmare. It was not so much due to the pain and suffering as it was the tension of stress and humiliation that caused me to hate with a vengeance. Under your discipline, my rights not only as a prisoner of war, but as a human being were stripped from me. It was a struggle to maintain enough dignity and hope to live until the war's end. The post-war nightmares uh, caused my life to crumble. But thanks to a confrontation with God through the evangelist Billy Graham, I committed my life to Christ. Love replaced the hate I had for you. Christ said, forgive your enemies and pray for them. As you probably know, I returned to Japan in 1952 and was graciously allowed to address the Japanese, war, the Japanese war criminals at Sagano Prison. I asked them about you and was told that you had probably killed yourself, which I was sad to hear. At that moment, like the others, I also forgave you and now would hope that you also would become a Christian. And one, that's a wonderful story of vengeance, uh, hate that had built over years was replaced by love and forgiveness. And folks, that's the, the passage that we read today. You know, so often if someone offends us, we just want to write them off, cancel them out. And as we've been seeing through Matthew 18, God desires to replace uh, the cancel with reconciliation and peace. And so as we come now to Matthew uh, chapter 18, uh, let's look at the setting. It's Matthew chapter 18, uh, verse 21 and 22. And um, here's what it says in verse 21. Then Peter uh, came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And if you remember last week, uh, the passage talked about confronting a fellow Christian who has offended us or sinned against us. And so when we do that, the question then becomes, well, how often am I supposed to do that? And Peter asked that question. And um, uh, he says, Peter says, as many as seven times? So he throws a number out. And that really was a pretty good number. Uh, the, the Jewish rabbis, based on some verses in the book of Amos, chapter 1, and into chapter two, they taught that you should forgive three times. And after fourth time, all bets were off, okay? And um, so if that's what the rabbis were teaching, here Peter said, well, how about seven times? Double it plus one. And uh, then uh, Jesus said to him, 
I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. He goes to a bigger number. Now, some Bibles have 70 times seven, which would be 490. And there's a little translation difference between Hebrew and Greek that create a little uncertainty. No big deal. Because it wasn't an exact number that uh, Jesus was trying to get to. He was trying to say, it's unlimited. Uh, you ought to and I ought to be willing to forgive people on an unlimited basis. Uh, in fact, the word sevenfold, or seven, and 77, when Jesus spoke those, uh, Peter and the other, their minds would have gone back to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter four, where those two words are used for the very first time. Do you remember when Cain killed his brother Abel? And um, God said to, a said to Cain, here's your punishment. And Cain said, it's more than I can bear. Someone's gonna kill me. And God said, anyone that kills you, they'll be punished sevenfold. And then a little bit later in that chapter, another descendant of Cain kills a man in self-defense. And he says, uh, if someone comes to kill me, if Cain's punishment was sevenfold, if they kill me because I killed someone in self-defense, their punishment will be 77-fold. And the very first time those words are mentioned are in a context of vengeance and getting even. And it's those two terms that Jesus now brings in and says, you know, as much as you like to express vengeance against someone, uh, you ought to express that much unconditional forgiveness toward them. And we saw that in the story of Louis Saperini. He said, I had great vengeance towards you. Then when he came to faith in Christ, he said, you know what? I have love and forgiveness. And so Jesus was saying uh, here to Peter and the others and to us, hey, your forgiveness ought to exceed any vengeance you might have in your heart toward others or a desire to get even. Um, it's interesting too when uh, Peter said seven times. In Luke's account of this same story, uh, do you know what it says there? It says Jesus said to them seven times a day is how often we ought to be forgiving. And the idea is not a certain number but an unlimited forgiveness. After Jesus said those words, he really now gets to the big idea of this whole passage, the idea that God's people uh, forgive as they've been forgiven, and he's gonna tell a parable. And uh, let's read this parable. We'll read the first half here. Verse 23. Therefore the kingdom of heaven uh, may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him his debt. So, it's a story, it's a parable. It's not a true story. 
uh, but it, uh, it's based on what could happen. Uh, who is the king in the story? The king is God. Okay, that's what the king or who the king is representing. Uh, who is the servant in the story? That's you and me being represented, okay? So we owe a debt to the king. Uh, our debt was our sin, is our sin. Uh, here in the story, he's using financial terms to kind of teach us a spiritual lesson. It says that the servant, so that'd be us, owes the king, that'd be God, uh, owes him 10,000 talents. Now what are 10,000 talents? A talent was a weight used to measure out things like gold and silver. Uh, and it's, there are different accounts out there of what 10,000 talents would be in today's money, okay? Here's the one that I'm going with and I found, uh, doing a little research. Uh, 10,000 talents today would be equivalent to $3.48 billion, okay? I know for some of you that, that's pocket change, uh, right? $3.48 billion, okay? And the guy says, uh, I'll pay it back. Uh, let's put it in today's terms. The average medium income in the United States last year was, was just under $75,000. So let's put it in today's terms. Uh, average person, $75,000 income, in this story owes $3.48 billion. Do you know how long it would take to pay that back if you took the entire $75,000 every year and applied it to the $3.48 billion? Without interest, anyone want to take a guess? We're talking forty-six thousand six hundred and sixty-seven years. <laughs> and this guy says, "I'll pay it back. Just give me a little time." <laughs> and uh, and and that is absurd. It's like you can't do it. And folks, think of our debt of sin. To God. A lot of people go through like, I can take care of that. I'll just work a little harder, give a little more, give a little more money. I'll be nicer to people. Uh, I'll work for the charity. Uh, I'll do some good work. I'll get baptized. Whatever. And you know what? You and I can never pay back the debt of our sin. That's the enormity of what Christ paid on the cross the sins of the world, took them all. Everything you and I have ever done, thought, said, and not just ours, but everyone who's ever lived and will live on this planet, wow. And so uh, think of what you've been freed of, the debt that's been forgiven. I love, love what it says in the book of Colossians chapter two. Uh, verses 13 and 14, it says this, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, uh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, listen to this, by canceling the record of debt that stood against you or stood against us 
with its legal demands. Uh, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Wow. So if I owed someone $3.48 billion, and he walked and said, you're forgiven. Wow. I, I'd be thrilled. I'd be more thrilled about the debt of sin that's been forgiven. And so should you. Amen? It's been forgiven. It's been erased. It was nailed to the cross. So that's the first half of this story. And that's why we ought to be so motivated to want to forgive people is because how much we've been forgiven. Now let's pick up the, the second half of this parable. Uh, but when the same servant, so this guy who'd just been forgiven three and a half billion dollars, I'm putting it into today's terms, uh, he found one of his fellow servants. So this guy had just been forgiven, comes across somebody else who owes him some money, uh, who owed him a hundred denarii, okay? So I'll get to tell you what a hundred denarii is in just a moment. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw uh, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master, the king, uh, all that had taken place. Then the master, the king, summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt. How much? Three and a half billion dollars, if we're putting it in today's terms. Uh, because you pleaded with me, and you should have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in his anger, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So, this guy had been forgiven three and a half billion. Now another guy comes who owes him a hundred denarii. So what's a hundred denarii? A denarii uh, was a Roman coin, and a denarii, one denarii, was the uh, minimum uh, wages for a daily worker. So it'd be like our minimum wage, okay? So he owed a hundred denarii. Uh, so that'd be a hundred days of work, roughly three months, okay? And, uh, and if we put that in today's terms, uh, based upon what the uh, Michigan minimum wage is, 100 denarii would come out to be $8,264. So this guy just been forgiven $3.5 billion, and he's coming after you for $8,200. And God's not happy with that. You've been forgiven so much, and you won't forgive others. Wow. Uh, uh, so that's the story of this parable. Now, a parable, uh, the word parable means this. It means to cast or set alongside of. So you and I are challenged to take this parable and put it alongside of our lives and compare what we do and don't do. That's the idea of a parable. It's a spiritual lesson that's based upon uh, earthly or human circumstances. 
Uh, parables usually use no proper names or names of proper places. And sometimes a parable may include hyperbole. So the parable we just read, uh, 3.5 billion, 8,200, uh, is that just hyperbole? Uh, maybe, but maybe not. There are some who think that uh, there's an element in this parable that when we understand it gives greater significance even toward it. And it's this, that the, the person who was the king's servant, how in the world does he owe three and a half billion dollars? There's indications in the passage that he probably was a tax collector. He's called the king's servant. He's collecting money for the king. What do we call people in our country who collect money for the government? Keep it clean, keep it clean. We call it the IRS, okay? So here's how it worked back then. Uh, the Roman government said to the lands they occupied, you're gonna pay us taxes. And they didn't wanna have to go and do it all themselves, so they actually would kinda franchise out parts of the land. If you remember the story of Zacchaeus, how many remember Zacchaeus? He was a tax collector, uh, but it doesn't say he was just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. So a guy like Zacchaeus would bid to the Roman government. Uh, let's say we'll use modern day examples. Uh, let's say he would come to the, 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 the king and say, hey, I'll take care of the city of Warren and I'll take care of the city of Sterling Heights and I'll gather $10,000 per household to bring to you in taxes. And uh, if he was the highest bidder, and the king or whoever's doing the hiring liked him, he got it. Okay, that's your area. You've made a commitment to oh, bring so much in. And go do it. And so that tax collector, that chief tax collector, would then go out and hire guys. Okay, you take care of the south end of Warren. And if you remember in the Bible, there's another tax collector mentioned. Who's that? Matthew, Levi the tax collector. It doesn't say that he was a chief tax collector. He's just a tax collector. So he would work under a guy like uh, Zacchaeus. And, uh, and so he would go do, so a chief tax collector would oversee a little region let's say Warren Sterling Heights, and uh, then he'd hire guys underneath him to do all the different parts of the cities and the neighborhoods, and they would bring money to him. And so now when you talk about some of the numbers we're talking about, I don't know what the budgets of Warren or Sterling Heights are, but I know the way government spends money, three and a half billion is not that much, right? And, uh, but that's the tax collect being collected. So. Here's what happened in that parable, if indeed it's specifying that this guy was a tax collector. I tend to think that's the case. I need a volunteer who would like to come up and help me. You don't have to say a thing. You just have to stand here and look pretty or handsome. I need one volunteer. Who'd like to do it? Come on up. And what's your name? Sarah, stand right there in the front. Let's give a hand for Sarah. 
No, right down, just uh, all the way down the box. Good. So, I'm the king. Sarah's the chief tax collector. You're the people that live in the area where she's the chief tax collector. And uh, she's made a promise to me that from all of you, uh, she'll bring me, the king, uh, $3.48 billion this year. For whatever reason, she didn't do it. I don't know if Sarah embezzled the money. Does she look like someone who would embezzle that? She's driving a nice car, okay? But she may have embezzled it, or maybe she just didn't do it. And she's the first servant in the story to, I say, Sarah, it's all forgiven. And so all of that $3.48 billion that she was supposed to bring to me has been forgiven. Now I need one more volunteer. Who'd like to come up? Come on up. Was Sarah sitting next to you? Yeah. Are you guys friends? The husband and wife. I, well, I did. So you're not friends. They're not friends. They're just husband and wife. What's your name? Justin. Justin. Okay, so ju they're not married in this story right here. Uh, Sarah's the chief tax collector. Justin is one of the guys that she collects taxes from. I've just forgiven her the taxes for this year of $3.48 billion. That means she's been forgiven, but it also means that Justin's portion of that amount of taxes to come to the king has also been what? But she's asking him for the money. Wow. She's, she's been set free. But she wants to go to him and probably others. And say, hey, you stole me the taxes. She didn't have to give it to me. But she can keep it for herself. Now take that to the forgiveness of sin. You and I have had all of our sins forgiven in Christ. And God, our king, has forgiven his sins too. But there she is saying, hey, I'm not forgiving your sin, even though God has. She, in effect, is putting herself in the place of who? God. Let's give these folks a hand for helping out. Thanks, Thanks guys. And folks, that's what was happening here in the story. The, the servant was holding sin, I'm gonna bring it out of the spiritual level, sin against someone who the king who got it forgiven. Uh, if you've got someone in your life, or if I do, who we won't forgive them, you're taking upon yourself something that is up to God take care of and that's why it says at the end of the story uh, in the final verses there it says uh, uh, every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart wow uh, by the way uh, with Sarah and with Justin I, I should have had born when they were up here the king forgave Sarah 3.48 billion right Sarah's asking uh, Justin for 8,200. Do you know what Sarah never must have, Sarah must not have related to Justin that the king had what? Forgiven. 
That's like you and me knowing we're forgiven in Christ, but not sharing it with somebody else, especially someone who may have offended us. What did Louis Saperini do? He went to that, he wrote a letter to that guard and said, hey, you know, I've been forgiven. And because I've been forgiven, I want to forgive you too. And I want you to know about a God who also forgives you. That's the point, folks, of that parable. That uh, our forgiveness is part of the way of the kingdom of God. It's, it's, it's fundamental to it. If you know Christ and you're part of his kingdom, you're all about forgiveness. The forgiveness the king has given to you, the forgiveness you should extend to others, and telling others about forgiveness. Uh, we read in um, uh, 1 Corinthians 13.5, love keeps no record of wrongs. I don't keep track. Uh, the word there in that passage is the word for a ledger. Don't keep a ledger. I'm here to forgive. Uh, John chapter 19, verse 30, when Christ was on the cross, one of the things he said was, it is finished. The Greek word there was teltoistai, and it means this. It was used for prisoners in a prison uh, back in the, those times when someone was put in prison they would take a piece of paper or parchment, write their crime and write their sentence on it, and nail it to the door of that person's prison cell. So if you had robbed, let's say, um, you know, the department store, and you had to serve two years and reimburse for $5,000, they would write that out on a piece of paper, stick it on the door of your cell. After you had served your time, they would take that paper down, you were being released, they would write on it uh, the words for it is finished and give it to you. And there, there were you, yeah, I paid my debt. And that's what Christ said on the cross. I've paid the debt of everyone who's ever sinned. And we are to take that and then express that to others as well. I wanna wrap up with a video clip. Uh, it's very short, uh, but it's two stars in the world of sports, and they're talking. Uh, the first person is a running back for the New York Giants uh, named Saquon Barkley. And uh, he's talking about having been offended or hurt by somebody. And the person he's talking to is the retired boxer, Mike Tyson. Okay, so let's watch this. So you're saying the devil wins because someone did me wrong and I cut ties with that person. I got nothing with that person. Yeah, so I got to be the bigger person. Because he changed you. Okay. So he's your master because he controls your emotion. He's not your enemy, he's your master. Because you're not who you used to be now. He stole that away from you. Sorry, we had a little uh, technical issue there with the music. Uh, but did you read the words? The devil wins when you don't forgive others. And why? Because he's changed you. When we refuse to forgive, we've been changed. 
in a way that is not good and not healthy and not like Christ. Uh, when we refuse to forgive someone else, it's not that person who's in prison. We're imprisoning ourselves. And so Jesus ended that parable by saying, forgive from your heart. And so where's your heart at today? First and foremost, I hope you know your sins have been forgiven through what Christ did on the cross. All you need to do is receive that by faith. And if that's true for you and true for me, then from our heart ought to flow forgiveness toward others. If there's someone in your life, maybe from a long time ago, maybe currently, where your forgiveness has not been there, I hope God will change your heart to be like Christ who forgave us. Father, thanks so much uh, for a needed a topic uh, that is talked about here in this passage. And I pray, Father, you would search our hearts right now. Uh, search mine. Uh, is there anyone to whom we're withholding forgiveness? Is there someone who we're not telling about uh, the forgiveness found in Christ? God, I pray you would change our hearts to the way uh, you want us to be. And that's a people uh, who live a life of forgiving others. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.